Life Changes Church, we are in season two of the Promotable Life series. It is going to be an incredible word. So grab a notebook and a pen and get ready. We are in the final throes of our Promotable Life series. We're preaching through the life of Joseph. But to help me preach this this morning, I want to take you back to a little bit of a narrative that happened in my childhood. I'm the youngest of three boys, and I'm a big fan of my older brothers. I was a, a, a boy who just had stars in my eyes whenever you mentioned Damien or Simon. Still do to this day. They are some of my all-time heroes. They're the ones who first showed me Jesus. They're the ones who introduced me to him. They're the ones who gave me this incredible love for Liverpool Soccer Club. Um, just put it deep in my heart. You know, they're just, it's unshakable. And no matter what the storms, and every high and stormy gale will hold on to the anchor as Jesus, no matter what happens to Liverpool the day before. Anyway, just preaching to my own heart here. But these incredible brothers, I was a big fan. They were older than me by quite a substantial way. So I was the little puppy dog that would follow them to their sporting games, to their, their drama productions, and I, they could do no wrong. I just loved these brothers. And this, this stretched into the time when my brother Simon, who always would seem to bite off more than he could chew in life in general, and, uh, but he signed up for the 1,500 meter uh, race at school, the, the athletics race. And this was exciting, except for the fact that Simon probably had never run further than 200 meters in his life. But he thought, I can do this. This is good. No training needed. Let's go. And it was, it was all guns blazing. The whole school was out in force. I was there with my parents as a young whippersnapper watching this unfold. And I was there knowing Simon is about to become the new Usain Bolt. I, I was without doubt. I can just tell you that red-headed boy is going to just, he's going to take, take the gold medal. Who, I don't care anyone else's name. And I remember this day distinctly because I remember the, them ever getting ready. You know, 1,500 meters is it's about four laps around a field. And it's quite a substantial amount. But Simon, as they said, on your marks, get set. Everyone was still standing, but Simon got down low. He was the only one down. And as they said, go, Simon leapt out in that first 100 meters like a, a, a gun shooter being shot out of a cannon. He was winning by a mile. And I was impressed. He, I think he almost broke the, the world record for the 100 meters. He was ahead. The other guys were looking quite perplexed. They just, they just were jogging behind him. But Simon was going. He rounded that bend at the 200 meter mark, and, and he smiled, gave me a thumbs up. And I was like, my brother is going to break the world record on his first attempt. Go, Simon. And I'm like, yes, high-fiving my, my parents. And as he goes round the corner to the 400 meters, that's where the whole grandson of the school were. And they are ch ch chanting his name, Simon, Simon. And I'm like, Simon. Because so, he's, he's about to lap these guys. It is unbelievable. The Phillips jeans, people. Who said white people can't run? Come on. Look at us. Look at him go. And I was like, this guy is incredible. But as he came around to the 500, 600 meter mark, it was almost like uh, as if he had been shot by a sniper from the grassy knoll. Bah! There he goes. Who shot JFK? I don't know. It's the same guy pitched up at our sports field and took someone else in the back of the leg. All of a sudden, the stitch hit and the hamstring went at the same time and Simon pulled up very fast. And he went like this. And he, and he, but he tried to keep going. And as he started to go and stumble, the guys behind him slowly caught up and looked at him bemused and passed him as they jogged by. And Simon dragged himself around by the crowd who no longer were saying, Simon, Simon. They were shouting, shame, shame, can help someone help him? And, I, and as a young juvenile uh, in that moment, I wasn't in control of my emotions. As Simon started to go on hands and feet and knees and drag himself off because he was done. He was spent by the second lap. I started to burst into tears because my, my, my hero, my brother's down. He's down, people, he's down. And I remember this moment, it's, it's embroidered into the very fabric of my heart and the, the DNA in this moment of when my brother in this moment was shot out of the, of the front to, to almost take the world by storm and then after two laps, he was out and unable to finish the race. I, I tell that narrative 
Firstly, because it's a great moment of joy just for me to recount as a, as a younger brother now, a little bit older, to remember the time my brother failed at the 1,500 meter race. But also, because I really believe that that is a lot of the state of Christendom worldwide. Often I think it's the state of my own heart. Here's my question for you today. How are you feeling? How are you doing? Are you feeling exhausted? Are you feeling burnt out? Are you feeling like you've been taken out at the knees? Are you feeling like the story that you've been living is feeling like it's going nowhere fast? And you feel like, Simon, at one stage there was a lot of fervor and excitement, but maybe you feel I'm older, wiser, maybe a bit more jaded. Maybe I'm a few lockdown levels, low-cheating levels, uh, shy of totally losing it. But now I'm a bit more measured, and maybe the wind of, has been taken out of my sails completely. And I want to tell you today, I believe it's just for you. I believe God wants to give confidence back to sons and daughters. He wants to get you up again and running with purpose to the goal that he's called you to. And I want to hope that the word of God will do that in our hearts today. Because here's my incredible question that I've been pondering in the last few weeks is we've been preaching this narrative about a man named Joseph who had a dream, highs and lows, and he ends up ascending to becoming the right-hand man of all over Egypt. But here's my question. What if you're not Joseph? What if you are not Joseph? And here's my premise. I actually think most of us, trust that, all of us are not Joseph. If you want to locate yourself in the story, can I tell you who you and I are more like? We're like the 10 brothers. The 10 brothers who betrayed Joseph, who sold him out, who have lived for 20 years, for almost two decades, with this underlying guilt gnawing at their soul, this, this pain that of, of what they did to their brother in their teenage years, and they feel their whole life story has been hijacked by this one moment of betrayal of Joseph, and that's cast a shadow over their whole life, and they've been trying to continue and keep going through the motions, but they're limping along like Simon. Hands and knees just trying to make it through and get to another day, but the shadow just keeps chasing them, and the dreams they had for their life have been laid waste. So I want to say to you today, let me tell you as we preach this series, the great thing I want us to get deep in our hearts is that we are not Joseph. You are not Joseph. This is not a promotable life series. Here's how you can live a promotable life, apply these principles like Joseph did, and hope it turns out okay for you, because you're not Joseph. You see, the great way to read scripture, the best way to read scripture, is that it's all telling one story about a man named Jesus Christ. As Homer Simpson once said, as he leafed through a Bible, he said, there's no good guys in this Bible except that one guy. And who ever thought that Homer Simpson would be a theologian? But he was spot on. There's no good hero in that story except one named Jesus. And as we realize, commentators and, and, and scholars will tell you, and this thing of typology, types and shadows, that Joseph, though he is not Jesus himself, that he is pointing to a one who would be, who would come, a one greater than them, a one, a greater Joseph named Jesus. And it's incredible that when you look at the story of Joseph, you cannot help but to see Jesus' fingerprints all over it. You see, Joseph and Jesus both were the favorite sons of their father. Joseph and Jesus were betrayed by their brothers. Joseph and Jesus were sold into the enemy's hands for pieces of silver. Joseph and Jesus were falsely accused. Joseph and Jesus spent time between two thieves. Joseph, a butler and a, and a baker, and one who would get set free, and one who would be condemned to die. Jesus died on the cross between two thieves. One who would be set free, today you'll be with me in paradise, the other who would be condemned to die. Jesus, just like Joseph, the both of them are the same, ascended to the right hand of the throne and were given all authority of the land. Joseph is about Jesus, and you're not Joseph. I'm not Joseph. And this should free us because I want to tell you today, the promotable life is not in trying harder. It's not in working harder. It's not in promising harder. It's not running harder and trying to break the world record and see, I'm just going to try harder this week. 
Because every single time, the hammy will go, the stitch will come in, and you'll be laid low. So I want to help us. How are we going to run this together then, if we're not Joseph? Glad you asked. Let's read scripture. Genesis chapter 42, verse 1, kicks off like this. When Jacob heard, Jacob being Joseph's dad and the ten brothers' dad, when Jacob heard that grain was available in Egypt, he said to his sons, why are you standing around looking at one another? I have heard there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy enough grain to keep us alive, otherwise we'll die. The reason this is happening is because there's a great famine in the land that has not just impacted Egypt, but all the nations surrounding her. So Joseph's 10 older brothers went down to Egypt to buy grain. But Jacob wouldn't let Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin, go with them, for fear some harm might come to him. So Jacob's sons arrived in Egypt along with others to buy food, for the famine was in Canaan as well. Since Joseph was governor of all Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was to him that his brothers came. When they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where are you from, he demanded. From the land of Canaan. We have come to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him. And he remembered the dreams he'd had about them many years before. He said to them, you are spies. You have come to see how vulnerable our land has become. No, my Lord, they exclaimed. Your servants have simply come to buy food. We are all brothers, members of the same family. We are honest men, sir. We are not spies. Yes, you are, Joseph insisted. You have come to see how vulnerable our land has become. Sir, they said, there are actually 12 of us. We, your servants, are all brothers, sons of a man living in the land of Canaan. Our youngest brother is back there with our father right now. And one of our brothers is no longer with us. But Joseph insisted, as I said, you are spies. This is how I will test your story. I swear by the life of Pharaoh that you'll never leave Egypt unless your youngest brother comes here. One of you must go and get your brother. I'll keep the rest of you here in prison. Then we'll find out whether or not your story is true. By the life of Pharaoh, if it turns out that you don't have a younger brother, then I'll know you are spies. So Joseph put them all in prison for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, I am a God-fearing man. If you do as I say, you will live. If you really are honest men, choose one of your brothers to remain in prison. The rest of you may go home with grain for your starving families. But you must bring your youngest brother back to me. This will prove that you are telling the truth and you'll not die. To this they agreed. Speaking amongst themselves, they said, clearly we are being punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago. We saw his anguish when he pleaded for his life, but we wouldn't listen. That's why we're in trouble. Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? Reuben asked, but you wouldn't listen. And now we have to answer for his blood. Of course, they didn't know that Joseph understood them, for he had been speaking to him through an interpreter. Now he turned away from them and began to weep. When he regained his composure, he spoke to them again. Then he chose Simeon from among them and had him tied up right before their eyes. Joseph then ordered his servants to fill the men's sacks with grain, but he also gave secret instructions to return each brother's payment at the top of his sack. He also gave them supplies for their journey home. So the brothers loaded their donkeys with the grain and headed for home. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for your people. I pray would your word now come and ignite our hearts. Bring strength to the feeble knees that give way. Bring courage to the 
feeble hearts that are waning. God, lift our eyes to a greater horizon. I thank you, Father God, that you would encourage us with the fact that we are not Joseph, that the power is not within us, it's within you. I pray, would you ignite every single one of our hearts for your glory and fame, in Jesus' name, amen. I've got two points from this text that I wanna help us, and then we'll pull it all together in a masterful way at the end. Number one is this, is that it's all about our trust, not our toil. It's all about our trust, not our toil. You see, we start off this narrative, if you were paying attention, we start off with these brothers, and they're being sent by their dad to go and, and, to go and buy grain from their older brother, their younger brother, Joseph, who they do not know or recognize, that's him. But they're going there to go and buy grain to take it back to the family, as, as Jacob said, or else we will die. And if you were paying attention, you've seen these words come up again and again in their discourse with Joseph. They use the words, buy. They use the words, we're here to bow. We are begging multiple times. Bowing, buying, begging. This is the language of their hearts. They're coming and they, their eyes are low and they, they're weighed down. They're coming to come and beg, barter, whatever they can do to lay hold of this grain. And as I read that, as I said, I start to see myself not just only in Joseph, but actually I see myself a lot in the 10 brothers. And I see a lot of us. I see a lot of our nation at this stage, this idea of under pressure, under famine conditions, under recession conditions, under pressure with the electricity prices and, and, and with the pressure under the interest rates, under pressure with our health, under pressure with the state of the nation, under pressure with the world at large, and we're trying to work out our way forward. The temptation is for us to all kick into the, let's hustle. Let's make a plan. Let's fight. Let's stress. Let's freak out. Let's filter Let's edit, let's put our best foot forward, always living with the question, have I done enough? And the theologian Robert Capone once said, the greatest temptation in life is to think it is by further, better, and more aggressive living that we can find life. The temptation of every heart is when things get dark, when things get tougher, is let's tighten our belts, let's go. This is the, temp the, the, the testimony of everyone who ever lived in Zimbabwe for the last Four decades was as things get harder, as the prices go to a skyrocket, as the economy goes to trash, just they just dig deeper, let's go. We'll find a way. But I want to tell you the enemy filters that not just into our living space, but into our way we relate to God and live out Christendom. And the enemy has us on a hamster wheel, a treadmill of performance, always asking, Have I done enough? Have I run fast enough? Have I achieved enough? Have I done enough that's required of me? And actually the enemy will keep reminding you that you are weak, imperfect, and you have to run faster. Do more, be more, consume more. Do more, be more, consume more. Or as Lady Gaga once famously said, I live for the applause. And it feels like that is our lives. It feels like we're living for the likes. We're living for the bank balance. We're living for the people to say, some, somebody to give us validation. Alex Ferguson, the great United, uh, Man United manager, and the first and last time I'll ever quote him in this church. But what he once said, he said he'll trade all of his titles just so his dad could see one of them. All of that was inside living, all that achievement, living for the applause of one man who was dead long before it was withheld the applause from him. And his soul ached to live more, be more, do more, consume more, living with this hamster wheel. And let me tell you, it's not just the greats, it's in every single one of us. I want to tell you, it's exhausting. I live for the money. I live for the fame. I live for the promotion. I live for the acclaim. To be liked, to be valued, to be appreciated, to be seen. And it all feels like after a while, if we're honest, it just feels like the hamstring's gone, winded. And if you're not there yet, you will get there. 
And it reminds me of this narrative that actually you flick back a few pages in the book of Genesis. One of the first narratives we run into is Genesis chapter 4 of the, the, the two brothers of Adam and Eve, the two sons of Adam and Eve, the brothers Cain and Abel. And it's this incredible back and forth. We don't have time to go and uh, study that passage, but worthwhile a glimpse later on your own time. But as we see Cain and Abel, God says, actually, I want you both to bring me a sacrifice. And Cain brings a sacrifice of his toil. He had toiled the land and he bought all this, this, this barrows full of veggies and fruit and incredible things. And he bought all the things that he had sweated for and he brings it to God. And Abel on the other side just brings a lamb, the firstborn lamb that he was looking for, uh, looking after. And he brings that to God. And in the moment we see that God accepted the sacrifice of Abel, the lamb, and not the toil of Cain's hands. One thing we learn there is, number one, God is definitely not a vegan. Relax, relax, hold on to your hummus. Hold on to your hummus, people, relax. It's a joke, it's a joke. But more seriously, more seriously, that we see that God is saying, I want your trust, not your toil. From the very get-go, he's saying, I don't want you to come and you think that your toiling, your effort, your striving, your working is pleasing me. No, you're not Joseph. Actually, I want you to come and trust me. I'm not looking for your toil, I'm looking for your trust. So much so that Cain's name actually means to produce or acquire while Abel's name means breath or nothing. Cain brought production and acquiring to the table. He says, God, what do you think of that? Abel brought nothing except the lamb. What sets in motion a, a whole mechanism throughout the scriptures, God saying, I'm not looking for your toil, I'm looking for your trust. And we come back to this story, this reality that we find of the 10 brothers. The 10 brothers were an incredible reality because they're a sign and a symbol because these 10 brothers, the older brothers who betrayed Joseph, these 10 brothers were from the, the mother who was Leah and the, the bond servants, the maid servants that Jacob had. Jacob was a, a ladies' man and, he, it was, and, and these ladies were fertile and they had 10 children between them. But his first wife, Rachel, was barren the whole way through. So Rachel, the wife that he loved, that he's supposed to be uh, intimate with, producing offspring with, he keeps going after Leah and these maidservants handed over to have these 10 sons, but it was only later in life that Joseph and then Benjamin, number 11 and 12, were born of Rachel, were born of promise, born when God said, actually, now's the time. That actually is a reality, because when we see these 10 brothers, these 10 brothers, as scholars will tell us, they are a picture, a sign and a symbol of the big 10, the 10 commandments. The ability of our toil, what we can produce, what we can acquire, what, how we can live. This is our standard. We've got to live up to this because if we do X, Y, Z, then God will be pleased with us. Then our Father will be pleased with us. And it's incredible when these 10 guys, and here I'm getting to my big point, these 10 guys who've been carrying two decades worth of guilt, of weight, of shame, of embarrassment, of hiding and lying about the death of, uh, of, and the selling of this, the, the brother Joseph, not knowing what has happened to him, and they're seeing the grief of their father and trying to live up to his approval, living, Dad, would you give me the approval, but never getting it because they feel like they've so fallen short, and they're stumbling through their days, not knowing how they're ever going to make it through, and they come to Joseph, they don't know it's him, and they're coming to buy, big, borrow grain, and come and talk with their toil, saying, actually, maybe this will assuade our guilt, this is where we're coming, we need grain to help, help our dad back home, we want to survive, please help us. And Joseph, after two decades, if I'm Joseph, I'm like, let me at them. I want to sit down with each of them, and they're going to get a slap from a dizzy height. And I want, to, I want to read them the riot act. Now I've got my foot on their throat. I want to tell them what they have done. They're going to bow, they're going to really bow. That's what I would do. But it's so incredible. When you read this narrative, you find that Joseph 
does something very bizarre. Joseph actually is not looking for the 10. He's looking for Ben. Joseph is not looking for the 10. He's looking for Benjamin. He says, where's the other brother? Why is he not with you? Bring him. Bring him. And they start to freak out in this reality. You see why? He was looking for Benjamin. And Benjamin is the one who was born out of, out of promise. Not born from Leah. Not born from the maidservants. But ba- born from Rachel. His same mother. The same mother that g- gave birth to Joseph. He's looking for Benjamin. And here's the incredible thing. Benjamin, if you start to realize and you need a title for the sermon. If the title is, it's all about the Benjamin. Life will tell you it's all about the Benjamins. Money, acquiring, fame, let's do this thing. But I want to tell you, as we read this narrative, all of a sudden, Joseph's not the central character, neither the 10 brothers. It's about a boy named Benjamin. And if you read the Bible, Benjamin has no words, says nothing, he does nothing, but he's the central character. Joseph wasn't looking for the 10, he was looking for Ben. You see, this is the incredible reality. Benjamin, if I can leap there, is a picture of grace. Picture of grace. Grace given to us, the, from God to us. Grace of given, that's a freely given to us. Not about our to- toil, not based on our merit or what we've done or where we've been, but freely given. And Joseph, a picture of Jesus says, I'm looking for your trust. I'm looking for the grace to be released in your life because this is the reality. They were looking for grain. The brothers were looking for grain, but grain will always run out. Grain will always run out and actually they'll always demand more and more of your labor. But actually he's saying, actually I want to provide something else and different to you. And it got me thinking, if, I, if I'm honest at this moment, as a parent, I'm living with this angst inside of me about in a year's time, there's, there's primary schools and I've got to make sure that I apply at the right time and I hope I get into the right school. And what if we don't get the right school? What do, how are we going to do it? Should we, should we take out a, a loan to pay school fees? And what about the future? And how are we going to do this? Because I don't want to live here to miss out. And what about Benjamin? How, what about extracurricular activities? And, and is it right for them to grow up in this country? What about ex, further education? Am I the only one who thinks like this? Uh, maybe. But I start to think, okay, what are we going to do about that? And sheesh, so how's that going to work out in X, Y, Z? And I just felt the Lord as I read this text saying, Stop trying to find grain. The number one job a parent can do, I'm preaching to myself, is lead your child to the bread of life. Because actually, this is in this, in this economy, in this climate, parents, we have to be a people who pray this prayer again. Our Father, who art in he- heaven, hallowed be thy name. If you want to know what hallowed be thy name basically means in layman's terms, it's this, our Father, who art in heaven, I trust you. I don't trust the economies of man. I don't trust the ability of my hands. I trust you. And this is, I'm driving my own heart. I drive your heart to un- unplug from the system of toil and find yourselves on the, your knees again saying, I cannot, but you can. It's a place of power. It's a place of, it's a place of surrender when we say, I trust you as parents, as spouses, as business owners. Business owners, the world will say, come on, just work harder. And I'm not advocating laziness. I'm saying work hard. Show yourself as a workman approved. Yes, 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 yes. But I want to tell you this. Your future, your your hopes, your dreams are not in your toil. It's in your trust. And yet we've been conditioned. It's all about the Benjamins. I want to tell you, no, it's all about Benjamin. Where's the the other brother? Bring him here. Bring him here. And it's this incredible narrative back and forth. And eventually they go, okay, fine. We'll, we'll go and talk to our father about this and go see if he'll let Benjamin come. And he says, okay, cool, but I'm going to leave. I need you to trust me and leave one of your brothers here. And he leaves one of the brothers named Simeon. Simeon gets locked up until Benjamin comes. Now what's incredible, if you read this narrative, the na- I don't think it's a stretch, but when you see the name Simeon means hearing. 
And I really believe this, that a lot of people are struggling to hear God because they have not released Benjamin. That locked up, the, the, the voice of God has been locked up because you've not understood his grace. You're thinking you get to hear his voice based on your ability to toil. I get to hear God, I get to encounter God if I do X, Y, Z, if I'm in the word this sort of way, if I'm behaving this way, and we approach our Bible reading and we come with expectation that God's only gonna speak to me when I've come with the toil of my hands, when God says, no, 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 release Benjamin, and then I'll release the hearing. I think that is very good, but write it down again. You see, because this is what Hebrews 12, 24 says this, the blood of Jesus speaks. It speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word that actually for you, it's not your ability to produce and say, yeah, yeah, this is what I've bought. Jesus says, I don't care what you bought. Let me tell you what I've provided. And that's the access for you to hear my voice. Hearing is locked up until we release Benjamin, until we understand the grace that when the enemy whispers in your ear, as you try and hear God's voice for your family, he says, you could have done more for your kids. As you're trying to work out how am I going to survive and how am I going to supply, and the enemy says, if only you'd been there a little bit more. You don't deserve an abundant marriage. You don't deserve an abundant future. You don't deserve an abundant relationship with God because of X, Y, Z and push you towards your toil. And we get back on the treadmill and we're sprinting and we think for a while this will be good until the hammy goes. And we're exhausted. We're back at the start saying, how does this work? I want to tell you the blood of Jesus speaks a different and a better word. You see, the economy of this earth is our sweat. The economy of heaven is his blood. The economy of this earth is our sweat. The economy of heaven is his blood. And this is a reality I love. Joseph Baptist. Joseph basically is saying, as they come and they're saying, listen, why don't you keep one of us? What if you keep in prison all of us? Just leave Benjamin out of it. Joseph keeps on saying again and again, I don't want your 10. I want Ben. I don't want the 10. I want Ben. And I love this reality. It's almost in a sense of going, I don't want your 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. I don't need the power of your hands. I don't need the ability of your toil. He says, I want that one that you have not produced. I want that. That's where trust kicks in. You see, it's all about the Benjamin. It's all about the Benjamin. Second and final point, it's all about his grace, not about our guilt. If our toil will always ask, have I done enough? Our guilt will always say, have I done too much? See, the number one enemy in our life is guilt and shame. Guilt and shame is the left and right hook of the enemy. And he'll hit you with guilt and he'll follow up with shame. And he'll get you with guilt and he'll follow up with shame. And you'll never be able to get out of the ring. If you stay in the ring with guilt and shame, you'll never win. I love this reality as we read the narrative and you progress into chapter 43, where we didn't get to in the text today, as, as we, or we left the narrative, was that Joseph gave them the grain to go back to their father, and he put the money that they had saved up, scrimped, saved to come and buy the grain, he put that back in their sacks. Here's the incredible thing. When they got home and they opened their sacks to find the grain, and they saw the money that was generously put on top, the blessing of Joseph to them, they didn't see that as a blessing. They saw that as a curse. They saw that as, oh my goodness, now we're going to be accused of stealing. And here's the reality, unable, they became unable to see God's provision because they were still caught up in their guilt. And a lot of us are unable to see God's provision and his goodness because we still have our eyes on our guilt. 
Let me tell you, I love it. Joseph, when they came back and they start to appeal and they say, oh, this, we, we had money here, so we want to return the money. And the steward says, no, 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 there was money that paid for it. You see, they were trying to come and sway the guilt. The blood is still on our hands. What are we going to do? I told you we should never have done this. I knew this would haunt us for 20 years. But Joseph is still not interested in the, interested in the 10. He's looking for Ben. You see, Jesus is not looking for our excuses. He's not looking for your weakness or where you've fallen short. He's looking for grace. The scripture on the screen, verse 29 of chapter 43 says, then Joseph looked at his brother Benjamin. This is after they've gone back home and they're back and forth with the father and eventually they said, Benjamin can go with you. And it's like in this moment of absolute trust when the dad says, I I probably will die if anything happens to this boy. And he trusts and he releases Benjamin and they go with a heavy heart saying, is this, this will either be the death of us or this will be the life. Not too sure in that moment, that critical juncture of releasing Benjamin to Joseph. And as they come with Benjamin to Joseph, it says, Then Joseph looked at his brother Benjamin, the son of his own mother. Is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? Joseph asked. May God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried from the room because he was overcome with emotion from his brother, for his brother. He went to his, to his private room where he broke down and wept. After washing his face, he came back out, keeping himself under control. Then he ordered serve the bread. I, as I read that, just my, my heart exploded because I just, I go, the start of chapter 42 was a dad saying, go get grain. They're now sitting at, the, the, at a table of authority and Joseph says, serve the bread. Grain is something that you produce and you toil and have to work. Bread is something that's already provided, done. And Joseph is a picture of, the, of, of, of a greater one named Jesus who would come and Jesus who would make the claim, I am the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. This is so powerful because the one who they betrayed is now the very source of their salvation. Is that not Jesus on the cross? That the one that we betrayed, that we lied about, that we sinned against, that we were vile against, that we refused to obey, refused to follow, that Jesus who we betrayed, we are not Joseph, we're the 10 brothers. The one that we betrayed becomes the bread of life. A hope for salvation. Keep reading. Verse 32 says, the waiters served Joseph at his own table and his brothers were served at a separate table. The Egyptians who ate with Joseph sat at their own table because Egyptians despise Hebrews and refused to eat with them. Verse 33 says, Joseph told each of his brothers where to sit, and to their amazement, he seated them according to age, from oldest to youngest. And Joseph filled their plates with food from his own table. Come on. Giving Benjamin five times as much as he gave the others. They feasted, drank freely with him. Let me tell you, let me just, as we bring this to land, Draw your attention to that where he gave, he gave Benjamin, Benjamin, it's all about Benjamin, five times as much. Now let me tell you, in the Bible, the number five is the number of grace. When we see the fifth time the name Noah is mentioned in Genesis chapter six, the fifth time it says Noah, it says, and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The fifth time the name Ruth is mentioned in the Bible, it says that Ruth found favor in the eyes of Boaz. The fifth time the name David is mentioned in the book of 1 Samuel, it says that David has found favor in the sight of the Lord. This is the reality that God is saying to us that actually he wants to release grace, something that's so undeserved. Benjamin who said nothing, who has done nothing, who has not been a part of any of this shenanigans, but he's sitting at a table eating five times the amount. And I just stirred in my heart, this is not some real, a prosperity reality, but I really believe that the people of God will be able to feast where even we haven't sown. In times of famine, in crisis, 
We're not called to be people who toil hard. We're not people, people who trust our toil. We're not, we work hard, yes, but we don't put our trust in that. We say our trust is in Him. We're people who don't hold on to our guilt and feel like that, that's the thing that's holding back. No, we're looking for grace. Here's the reality for you and I. If we rewind all the way back to Genesis 35, let's go back to the moment of Benjamin's birth. The mother, Rachel, was in labor, and the labor was so bad with her fin- the final of the 12 sons, Benjamin. It's all about Benjamin. As he was getting birthed, it says he was, just, he was in such anguish that she started to die. And she died giving birth to Benjamin. And as he came out, and as she started to breathe her last and die, it said she named him ben or Nai, son of my suffering. Declaring that this child was born out of my suffering. But it says this, without skipping a beat, so it says a comment says, but the father Jacob came and renamed him Benjamin, which means son of my authority, or son of my right hand. Let me tell you, if you've never seen, a, never seen an illusion of Jesus before, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. But Jesus too was also called the son of suffering, the one who bore our, our wickedness, who bore our wounds upon him. Isaiah 53 says he, he was stricken, he, was, he was, had the curse placed upon himself. He became the son of suffering. He became the son of sorrows, but he would become the son of authority son seated at the right hand of the father this story is not about you and I let me tell you the good news I love though is that the father named him Benjamin before he had done anything father says this is the son of my authority and this is the the crux of what I want to say today is I really believe the father in this season wants to rename his sons and daughters in the midst of suffering in the midst of sorrow in the midst of depression in the midst of chaos in the midst of postnatal moments in the midst of rejection in the midst of job loss the father wants to re- come rename you right now and say when everything inside of you wants to go back to the source that you know but the father says no I want to rename you I want to change your name from toil to trust I want to change your name from guilt to grace will you allow me to do this will you allow the father to do this in this moment because let me say this if all the angels, the living creatures, all the elders in heaven, if all the demons, the powers, and the principalities of darkness and hell, if all of creation, all of the, the created and uncreated force of this world came before the heavenly Father and looked at you and said, God, he is not worthy. Your son, your daughter is not worthy. They are guilty. Let me tell you, if all of them came with one accord and said, he is not worthy. The Father would not listen to them. Why? Because of one advocate, Jesus, who stands and says, disregard what they're saying, Father. I've renamed them. Disregard what they're saying, Father. I've renamed them. This is the reality for you and I today. He's not looking for your efforts. He's not looking for your one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. the strength of your hands, how you're gonna pull yourself out of this situation. He's not looking for your toil. He's not looking for your 10. Again, he's also not looking for your excuses, your one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten excuses of why your life is like this, what happened to you, what you've done and why you did it and why you can excuse it. He's not looking for your excuses. He's not looking for your guilt. He's looking for his grace. I'll tell you again, he's not looking for the 10. He's looking for Ben. You're not Joseph. He is. He's wanting to release grace. We can hear him, be named by him, so we can run into the future he has for us. Can we stand to our feet? Here's the simplicity of the landing spaces. I want to say trust is our posture, grace is his provision. 
thrust is our posture, grace is his provision. I really believe God is wanting to release grace to hearts. Not, not, uh, grace means his, his supply, his riches, his, his providence, his, what only he can do when you have nothing left. When you bring nothing to the table, he says, come take a seat at my table, serve the bread. When you're in a, with a business looking at the bottom line and going, how am I gonna do payroll this month? What am I gonna do right now? Everything inside you wants to go to toil. Everything inside you wants to go to excuses. Say, God, I trust our Father who art in heaven. I trust you. That is our place. Trust is our posture. Grace is his provision. Why don't we lift our hands to heaven right now? As you lift your hands, your feeble hands, take note of the 10 fingers. <laughs> take note of the 10. Your 10 has a, lift them as high as you can. Lift them as high as you can. Let me tell you, as high as you're stretching, no matter how supple you are, no matter how you've stretched this morning, your 10 has a limit. The tallest of you, it's not even touching, going halfway to the ceiling right here. Your ability right now, you have no ability in your own strength to engage with heaven. Unless heaven comes down to you. He's not looking for your 10, he's looking for Ben. He's looking for Jesus, looking for grace in your heart. Will you trust him? Will you trust him right now? With every eye closed right now, hands lifted. Keep your hands up. I really believe in this moment of surrender, God says, I want to break in. Break into businesses. Break into families. Break into to parenthood. Break into your excuses. Break into your shame. Break into the way you've done relationships. Father, right now, we surrender. Right now, the economy of earth is our sweat. The economy of heaven is your blood. And I pray right now, your blood, speak a better word. Speak a better word. Speak a better word right now. Unlock hearing so people would hear your voice saying, you are my son. You are my son. And if we go, no, but I'm a sinner. No, you're my son. I've renamed you. I'm renaming you. Not by your suffering. Not by your sorrow. Not by your divorce. Not by your chaos. Not by your rejection. Not by your loneliness. Not by your weakness. Not by your addiction. Not by your habits. Not by your, your, your anger. Not by your apathy. No, he's renaming you. You are son of authority. You are son of my right hand. And it's not everything inside says, no, but I don't deserve it. Yes, you don't. It's not your 10. It's in Him. So Father, right now, we say, our Father, why don't we pray that together? Our Father, our Father, hallowed be your name. Why don't we say it one more time? Say, our Father, we trust you. Thank you so much for watching. If you'd like to take your next steps or find out what's happening in the life of the church, head over to our website or follow us on social media. We can't wait to see you soon.